Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 6 on New Obedience. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois, and my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Michael Shorman. He is pastor of University Lutheran Church in Champaign, Illinois. Pastor Shorman, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's always great to have you on. And today, as we get into this article in the Augsburg Confession, Article 6 on New Obedience, as we've set up, this is a direct connection from what we've been working through and progressing through here in the Augsburg Confession, well, from all the articles, but especially Article 4 and Article 5, and we'll let you set that up for us. But as we get into this here, let's go ahead and just read the article itself. And then I'll let you take over and get those connections for us. So, of course, a reminder on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And this is Article 6 from the Augsburg Confession on New Obedience. Our churches teach that this faith is bound to bring forth good fruit, as it says in Galatians 5, through 23. It is necessary to do good works commanded by God, as it says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Because of God's will, we should not rely on those works to merit justification before God. The forgiveness of sins and justification is received through faith. The voice of Christ testifies in Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. The fathers teach the same thing. Ambrose says, It is ordained of God that he who believes in Christ is saved, freely receiving forgiveness of sins without works through faith alone. All right, that is Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession. And Pastor Sherman here, as we've seen the last couple articles here now, we see this very first line give us an obvious connection. Our churches teach that this faith, and that's what we've been previously talking about here in the Augsburg Confession, all right, so give us some of those connections. How do we get to Article 6 here on new obedience from what we've had in the Augsburg Confession? So if you remember Article 4, which is the article on justification, that article is concerned with making it crystal clear for everyone who hears this confession that our standing before God in righteousness is reliant entirely on Christ's merit. He earned our justification by his death. That merit is given to us as a free gift, and we receive it. 
you know, kind of grab hold of it by faith. That is, we hear it's a promise to us and we say, yes, it's for me, right? Our faith says that. That's Article 4. So that's the faith part, right? That our faith, we're saved, we're justified by grace through faith in the promise that Christ's forgiveness is ours. We have to hear that promise, right? I mean, the promise is out there. God has said it, but we need to continually be told it. Like people need to hear it from someone. And so that's why God has established what's covered in Article 5, the ministry, specifically the ministry of preaching the gospel, that is preaching this free forgiveness of sins because of Christ's work. Believe this, right? That's the message. It's preached to us. And so that message heard by us works faith in our hearts. God gives us faith. And so now we get to Article 6, where we have this faith given to us through the gospel. It's been preached to us. And now we believing this promise that our sins are forgiven, now we see in ourselves that faith be active, right? That is, that that faith now produces, brings forth good fruit, is the words they use in that first sentence of the article, or good works, as we would probably most of the time refer to them, good works. Yeah, and as you reference that there, then you know, that's the rest of that first line is it brings forth this good fruit or good works as we commonly use in our Lutheran circles, as you said. It's of note here, though, that the article itself is called new obedience. And that phrase never actually shows up anywhere in the article as I read through it there. So what's the relationship here of new obedience and good fruit? What's going on there? Well, it has to do with the fact that God has a a will, right? I mean, he even says it in the article, because of God's will, these works are necessarily done or it's necessary for them to be done. So God's will is what is, you know, laid out for us. It, it's, we could go on a very, very long discussion about God's will in terms of how he, he has ordered things, what he wants us to do. And so those who are saved and justified and have that justification, that is the forgiveness of our sins received through faith, that is those who are made new, want to do God's will. Uh, think of it this way, a child who knows and loves his or her parent, uh, it, this analogy is not going to be perfect, but it gets the point across. That child is going to know that this parent has every good thing given to me, loves me, and I love my father, I love my mother, and they want me to do this thing, I'm going to do it, right? So they're obedient, okay? Uh, they're not, as we'll get to, earning the love of mom and dad by their obedience, but they are, because of the relationship that they have with one another, the love that's there, that child is obedient. Similarly, but in a much more profound way, I suppose, we Christians who are justified by Christ's death. We know that we are loved by God. We know that his will, the way he has ordered everything, the things he would have us do, we know that these are good things for us to do and we want to do them. And so we, we are obedient to him in the ways that he instructs us and commands us. So that's what it means. New obedience. Think of it as the glad doing of God's will for us. 
I like how you bring in the image of our children there. And this is a connection that I made all the way back in Article 2, and our guest made there as well, that original sin is obvious in our children, right? No, no one has to teach our children to sin. They just kind of figure that out all on their own. And I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and another one on the way, and they just, they really do. They figure it out all on their own, right? And the hard work comes for us, especially as Christian parents, is to teach them a new obedience than what they do naturally, right? <laughs> you know, that they, that they should not hit their sister or brother and be kind and supportive and help out around the house and respect mom and dad. And so, you know, that's especially when we're talking about our relationship to God. I like how you frame that for us because it's something that we can easily see and we all know. We see it on a regular basis every day whether you have children or not, right? We just see this in ourselves. And so this is an image for us of what we're talking about here with this new obedience. And then as that last line finishes out there, you know, it says that this new obedience, this good fruit and good works that are brought forth here by the faith, it cites Galatians 5, through 23 there. And then also it gets into Ephesians 2.10. It, it cites that as well. So go ahead and give us some of this scriptural grounding and teaching that it's giving to us here. Sure. Well, Ephesians 2.10, many might be very familiar with. That's the, the, you know, the famous passage, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, that we are justified by grace. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. And forgive me for the page turning here if it's coming through. But um, then Galatians, the Galatians passage they cited, this is the famous fruits of the spirit passage in Galatians. So I'll just read this. Paul writes, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. It's not a comprehensive list in terms of like all the things that God gives us to do, right? In fact, it's not really a list of do this, do this, do that sort of thing. It's, it's actually more of just a description of the general kind of manner of being <laughs> that we have as Christians in our lives, right? All these things like patience. Of course, that has an expression, being patient. Long-suffering is another way of putting it in the scriptures. Love, joy, peace, all of these things. So these are it's, I find it interesting that rather than cite a particular list of like, you know, like the Ten Commandments, for example, you would, we would might naturally think, oh, when we talk about good works, we're going to list the Ten Commandments. And those are certainly uh, part of God's expressed will for us. But instead, Philip Melanchthon, who, who wrote the Augsburg Confession, instead lists here the Galatians passage as a more general, just kind of picture of what the redeemed and renewed life of the Christian looks like. Um, they don't cite it, but right before in Galatians 5, Paul <laughs> has another list, which lists the works of the flesh, right? These are the things that the sinful man, and that would be not only the one who, you know, is not baptized, has rejected Christ, that sinful man, but also the old man in us, our flesh, which struggles against the new man and against the redemption that we have in Christ and against our faith. Both of those sinful men, our flesh and the, the one who is out apart from Christ, uh, would do these you know, works of the flesh, things like 
idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, all these things. So again, the expressions of our status before God, if you will, there's a contrast in sin and apart from God, our expression of the things we do and our state of being is very different than the way we are and the way we desire to be and how we express ourselves in terms of our actions and in terms of our lives when we are in Jesus, when we are redeemed and baptized into him. And that connects in then with what is also said there before the citation of Ephesians 2.10, and I think is something important to hit here. You talked about the Ten Commandments as being God's expressed will for us and this obedience that we have, and it says there, it is necessary to do good works commanded by God, as it says in Ephesians 2.10 there, right? And sometimes, especially for us as Lutherans, sometimes we can almost forget at times that we should do good works and that we should urge those sorts of things. And it does say it here in our confession, it is necessary to do good works commanded by God. Now, I think that we need to understand that, especially in terms of the scriptures. So go ahead and give us an understanding here of what are we talking about when, especially that word necessary there, how do we rightly understand that it is necessary to do good works commanded by God? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is because scripture says so. (laughs) But uh, we need to, like you said, we need to actually hear that word of God. You know, this is a, a real problem for us in our current day and age, the confusion that is about the necessity of good works. It's very tempting to hear the promises of God, which are wonderful and are so important to hear and know. Things like, you know, in our baptism, all of our sin, all of it is cleansed away from us. We have the full forgiveness of sins. You know, there's no, we'll probably get to it later, but there's no necessity for our works in terms of us being justified before God or saved. That's all done by Jesus. And it's all given to us by Jesus when we're baptized and when we hear the gospel and believe, we have it all. Because of that kind of amazingly wonderful promise and how comprehensive it is, it's tempting to you know, think that that's all of God's will for me, I guess is probably the way I'd put it, that as long as I believe that I'm saved, I am good. And our sinful flesh and the devil and the world entice us then to think that what we do doesn't matter, but it does matter. And then scripture is very clear on this. For example, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, so Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, this is pretty obvious to us in in terms of the object lesson. You know, if you have a apple tree, you really want that tree to bear apples and In fact, just by its very nature, it's going to, it's certainly, the apple tree is certainly not going to bear cherries and a cherry tree is certainly not going to bear apples. By their nature, they are going to bear that fruit. Now, if it's a bad tree, a bad apple tree is not going to bear cherries. It's going to bear nothing. Or 
you know, bad apples, rotten apples, or, you know, fruit that not good enough to justify the tree. Likewise with us, those who are in Christ, that is, have faith in his promises, we are like that apple tree by our very redeemed nature, we are going to bear good fruit. By our sinful nature, we are going to bear bad fruit. Likewise, John 15, here's Jesus again. This is another famous passage where we hear about Jesus, the vine, and we are the branches. So here's what Jesus says, John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again here, we hear from God's word that we, in this case the image of a branch from a vine, think like a grapevine, that branch is going to do what it's supposed to do. It's going to bear grapes, bear fruit. And that branch is attached to the vine. In this case, we, baptized into Jesus, having heard his word, believing the gospel, we are joined to him. And he likewise is joined to us. And therefore, we can and do bear fruit. Yeah, and I think we'll flow forth then nicely as it's building this case here line by line. I think we'll just continue to kind of walk through it that way here. That's going to proceed forth in what we see next and also connects in with how you started us there. You talked about the confusion in our world about good works and especially even among ourselves at times that God does command these things. I think we also see the confusion on the other end that as Lutherans, we might say a very Roman Catholic understanding, but just is a general American culture understanding, or really probably could even say the world over we see this, this idea that who I am and the good things that I do, do earn me something, that I can do these things on my own. And you see that a lot of times at funerals, they want to hear about all the good things and what a good person this was and so forth. But we here in our confession here, in the Augsburg Confession, Article 6, we state very clearly in the next line, we should not rely on those works to merit justification before God. And I think that's an important point to highlight here, that once again, it connects us back to Article 4 and justification, that chief article and doctrine of our church. Uh, Give us this important line here to get us you know, that this is flowing forth from Christ and we're connected to Christ and that's how we bear the good fruit as you just were setting up there for us, but that we not rely on those works to merit that justification. Yes, well, you know, throughout the scriptures, we hear over and over and over again, God telling us the truth about ourselves. Um, I think of, it's Romans 3, I think. Right where Paul's quoting from, I, th- I believe, uh, one of the Psalms, no one is righteous, no, not one, right? No one is good. Uh, I mean, Jesus himself, what we just heard in John 15, 
apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked about Ephesians 2.10, which is cited in this article, but just before that, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. <laughs> it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you know, we can hear about, I'm saved by faith, and uh, maybe later we'll talk a bit about the mistaken thinking that my faith is something I am doing, that maybe that's my contribution to the whole salvation project. It's not, but we can think that. But God, through Paul here in Ephesians 2, helps us very, 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 very clearly see and, and know this, that when he says, and this, that is the, you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing. And when, when we moved into this house, I had to make some repairs to our front porch railing. And uh, I, I didn't, I'm not very good at that sort of thing, but I kind of figured out how to do it and did it. And when it was done, I was like, hey, look at this. And, you know, <laughs> my wife, because she was proud of me, I guess, took a picture and, you know, shared it with a couple of people. Hey, look what, look what Michael did, right? And, uh, you know, hey, good job. That's great. I mean, I did it, right? That's not salvation though for me, right? There's no bragging. There's no even kind of halfway there poorly done, even sort of working it out. Nope, nothing. I don't do it at all. It is not your own doing. Instead, we know it's God's doing, but even better than that, it's God's doing, which he lovingly gives to us, right? Paul says it is the gift of God, right? We don't give gifts to people whom we don't care about right? We give gifts to people, we who are imperfect, give gifts to people who we care about. We want to express our appreciation, our love, our care for them by giving them something for free on their side of it anyways, right? We just want to bestow on them this thing. Well, that's God to us, right? Rather than leaving us in a place where we think or we have to do something and then we never are truly going to know if it's good enough or not. We may think so, we may hope so, but we're not going to know so. God, in his love for us, says, no, it's all done, and I give it to you. So it's not our doing. We do good works, and we'll talk about the importance of that, and we have already a bit, but none of it makes us right before God. None of it gives to us the salvation that we have and need so that we can live with God forever. You emphasized in there several times that, you know, it's not our doing. And then as we very clearly hear in that Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 passage that you mentioned there a couple of times, that this is through faith. And that's the very next line that we have. The forgiveness of sins and justification is received through faith. And so that's accented very importantly there for us, as you brought out as well. And that's something that we want to get into. We're going to take a break here a little bit early, but on the other side of the break, I want to pick up this idea of through faith and delve into that. We talk so freely about that as Lutherans, but I think it's always very important for us to review and to hear again, not just that you know this salvation comes through faith 
and that produces the good fruit of the new obedience that we're talking about here, but that we actually talk about what faith is so that we understand how this produces that new obedience and good fruit, as we're talking about here in the Augsburg Confession, Article 6 on New Obedience. With our guest, Pastor Michael Shoreman, I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Brady Finneran of Thy Strong Word. Join us to be renewed and refreshed by God's Word and to be pointed to our resurrected Lord Jesus every weekday from 11 to noon, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. as we continue talking about Article 6 from the Augsburg Confession on New Obedience with our guest today, Pastor Michael Shorman. And Pastor Shorman, as we were talking there, we're basically going line by line here through the article, very logical progression that they have here for us, and so it makes sense to just follow it along there. And we've talked about how this faith that we have connecting back to Article 4 and delivered to us, as we talked about in Article 5, that this faith is bound to bring forth this good fruit or good works, as we would say. And we've talked about how that's cited in Scripture, and it's necessary to do these good works as commanded by God, but we shouldn't rely on those works, and that this all flows forth from that chief doctrine again, justification. So we're at this next line here, then, that the forgiveness of sins and justification is received through faith. And you highlighted that several times as you've been building this progression here for us. So go ahead and get us into this then. Talk about, once again, as I set up just before break, we so freely talk about that this forgiveness of sins and justification is received through faith. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. But I think it's really important for us to just hear again and always be reminded of what is faith? What are we talking about when we're talking about this faith? Because that's going to be important for where I want you to get us after this, which is once again, this connection on new obedience and how that produces this good fruit in us. Yeah, so Scripture tells us, this is from Hebrews 11, Scripture says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. As Christians, we are reliant on the promises of God, right? So these are words that God has spoken or revealed through the mouths and the hands, the pens of men whom he called to bring these words to the world, right? We would call that those words, the gospel, but this good news that we are saved by the merit of Christ, that those words are delivered to us. And, and faith is the gift of God in us, which hears those promises and says, Yes, they are for me. This salvation is for me. Or, you know, as Hebrews puts it, it's the assurance of things hoped for. So this isn't hope like, I hope that, uh, I don't know, um, I'm in Champaign, Illinois, right? So I'm a campus pastor at the University of Illinois. We have a terrible football team. 
Um, we have a pretty good basketball team. So, you know, if I'm excited about basketball, it's like, I hope that our team makes it to, you know, the final four. Well, I mean, that's a hope that is grounded somewhat in reality. I mean, it would be kind of stupid to hope if your team is, and you know, it is terrible. Like, I don't hope that our football team anytime soon is going to win the national college football championship or anything like that. But the basketball team is pretty good. So I hope that they'll make the final four, but that hope is really kind of based on more just like a, you know, wishful thinking, if you will, there's some grounding to it, but nothing really that's solid and sure. The hope that we have as Christians in the gospel, this assurance of things hoped for, that is our faith is grounded on something very, very, very sure. And that is the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth, who made all things, who has worked throughout history and through all manner of peoples and countries and rulers and all these things to bring about and to deliver to the whole world his son in the flesh, Jesus, who then went to the cross and died and, and declared to us that it is finished, right? This God says to me, you are forgiven of all your sins because my son, Jesus, the Christ has by his perfect life and his obedient life and his innocent sufferings and death has paid for that. So my faith clings to that promise, which has a great certainty and says, yes, that's the hope I have. So that's maybe the most basic kind of definition of faith, all right? It's, it's, a, it's like Hebrews says, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. But then when it comes to this notion of good works, we need to unpack it just a little bit. So this issue of good works and of the necessity of them and all that is something that it was for the church and then for the Lutherans an ongoing question. And Article 6 of the Oxford Confession that deals with new obedience. Sometime down the road, as you're working through this, you're going to get to Article 20, which is also about good works in the Oxford Confession. And then later on, a generation later, the authors of the Formula of Concord also had to deal with good works because there was a continued discussion and controversy, if you will, about whether faith necessarily is going to produce good works. And they write... If you'll bear with me, I'm just going to read just a little bit from this about faith. They write, faith must be the mother and source of works that are truly good and well-pleasing to God, which God will reward in this world and in the world to come. This is why St. Paul calls them true fruit of faith. So here's what they write. Faith is more than just kind of a, I mean, it's not just a knowledge of, but a knowledge of, and like an ascent and a grabbing hold of the promise of God. It's actually even more than that in us, but it's, it's this activity that that's flowing out of the fact that we are saved and is then getting busy with the Christian life. So I think that's probably the most helpful way to understand what's meant here in Article 6, when they talk about through faith, first and foremost, it's hearing the promise and believing it, but then it's also that faith now knowing of my forgiveness, turning and saying, and what else does the Lord declare to me? And it's good. 
Yeah, and that's really important we understand that relationship because then it leads to the joy of the Christian life too, right? It's not a burden for us to do the good works. Oh, I have to do these so that I can be saved uh, or be a good Christian or those sorts of things. We know that we are saved and it produces this joy and freedom that we so freely talk about as Lutherans that we do this in the freedom. But I think it can also produce maybe some other sort of error there too, that uh, sometimes we can trust in those works, you know, once again, kind of almost falling back into a works righteousness again. We're, we're just poor, miserable sinners, aren't we? That we see the joy of doing what Christ has given us to do, as you said. But then as we get along doing those, then we start to get a little too much confidence in those again. And I think that's what they're getting at maybe with this next line here, that just continually reminding ourselves of this. Uh, the next line says, the voice of Christ testifies in Luke 17, verse 10 is where this is. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. I think that guards us against this idea that because I'm doing all of these things, well, obviously I'm a good Christian. I don't know. That's at least kind of my thought of the progression there. What do you see going on there, Pastor Shorman? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah, Remember what it says in Ephesians 2, not by works so that no one may boast, right? And so one of the temptations that we have when we're doing good works is, is we're tempted to think, oh, hey, I saw in the scriptures how it says, you know, uh, fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Well, I'm not, I'm not murdering. And in fact, I'm Actually, every day I'm saying hello to people. And if I see someone on the street I, who, who needs a meal, I give him a meal. And if I see someone who looks like they're cold, I give him my coat or I, go, I have a coat in my trunk that I give to people and I always get a new one at Goodwill and, you know, and I, this sort of thing. And, we, we, and by the way, all those things are great to do, right? Those are good things to do. But the danger is that we take those things and then we say, oh, so guess what? I've been doing this and I, God is going to really, really be pleased with me. And I'm going to go and show him, Hey God, look what I've done. Don't you think that I deserve rewards? Don't you think that I deserve something good from you? Because look at how well I'm keeping your law. Look how well I'm doing the things that you would have me do. And that's the boasting and it's very dangerous. That's the error we fall into when we start to think that it's necessary that we do the works, not because God wants us to do them, but because we're going to earn something from God. Or the other error that we might fall into is that we kind of make God into a bit of a, a tyrant, right? Like, so you mentioned, like Luther brought out the kind of the joy of doing these things. And uh, it is joyful to do these things, right? It's It's really... It is truly wonderful and pleasant to, you know, to take care of our neighbors. I mean, it's not always, don't mistake me, pleasant and joyful does not equal fun, right? Sometimes it's not fun. It could be gross, right? If uh, you know, changing a baby's diaper is not necessarily the most pleasant thing. But it is a wonderful, joyful thing because because you are blessed to be taking care of this other person, um, you know, helping someone who has a 
you know, like a serious drug addiction, let's say, well, that can often be very unpleasant. But at the same time, it's very satisfying and joyful because through you, God is working to provide that person with just what they need so that they can be well. So it's good to do these things, but we must guard ourselves against the danger of thinking that either I'm doing them because then I can hold them up before God and say, look at what I've done. Surely I've earned your favor. Or on the other hand, we do them because we think God is, you know, just like a a super demanding boss, right? Who is, if we don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble. If I don't do this, I'm going to get fired. If I don't do this, I'm going to go to hell, right? And therefore I'm just going to do it. Those are the two kind of, uh, the two ditches that we can fall into on either side of the straight road of just believing the gospel and then gladly doing the things God has given us to do. And I think that's really important, not just in terms of the, you know, you kind of give some examples there of our life in this world of doing good things for our neighbors and things like that. And by all means, as you said, those are great things. Keep doing those things and do them joyfully, knowing that your salvation is accomplished. But sometimes we we also forget about in this discussion what we would call the first table of the law, right? The first three commandments. And especially I'm thinking here, just the way that we view the nature of worship. You know, God very clearly gives us in multiple places in the scripture, but specifically a specific commandment that we are to gather together in worship of him, right? To, To gather together as his people and to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? And so, you know, that's a command to us. But when we have a right understanding of how all of this works and so forth, and especially as we bring up on the show all the time, when we understand, especially as we Lutherans love to highlight, that it's a divine service, God's serving us through his word and sacraments, that we, that's what we saw in the previous article, Article 5, that this then produces the good fruit, that then it becomes not, oh, I have to go to church to be a good Christian, or, oh, I have to go to church because God says so, or or any of those sorts of things, or those two ditches that we want to avoid in thinking about the command to go to church, but rather that it flows forth naturally from what we receive there, and once again leads to the joy of the Christian life. And one of the places that I often think of, one of my favorite commentaries of Luther, and of course all of his writings are great, but one of my favorite commentaries is in Genesis, uh, where he's especially dealing with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, this is the Sean Smith paraphrase version of Luther. He basically says that every time Adam and Eve walked past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and did not eat of its fruit, of course, this is before the fall, that they were living in true worship. And what? how did that happen? Well, it's because they were being fed with the good fruit of the garden and of God's word and hearing that and believing it, and it produced the good fruit of avoiding that. And when they got away from that, that's the fall into sin, right? So I think it gives us this understanding of even how we worship rightly, that it's a fruit of this faith, right? Yeah, that's oh, that's a, just such a great example from Luther there. Thanks for sharing that. Um in line with what you just shared from Luther in the so the in the Augsburg Confession, you've got Augsburg Confession articles, you know, one, two, three, four, et cetera. And those are all presented in 1530. And then the Roman Church, they wrote what they called the Confutation. And then after that, then 
the Lutherans presented, well, or at least authored, I don't think they got a chance to present it, but authored another document called the Apology, the Defense of the Augsburg Confession. And in that defense document, they defended the statements made, for example, the statement they made here in Augsburg Confession Article 6 about new obedience and about the necessity of good works, but that they don't save us. And in the apology, that in answering some of the things that were brought up by the Roman church, a wonderful distinction is authored there. And that is this discussion in line with what you just shared from Luther about you know, every time they would walk past that tree and not eat, that is, believe God's command and promise and all the good that he had given them and that even this this instruction was also for their good. Every time they would do that, they were rightly worshiping God because they believed him. And that's what comes up in this apology too, that, that the true worship of God is actually faith. Not just, again, not just faith as some sort of like kind of general principle, but specifically faith in the goodness and the trueness if I may say it that way, the trueness of the promises of God. That's true worship. So in our discussion context, the point of works is not to somehow offer something to God, right? That's kind of our natural fallen way of thinking of worship of God, right? Is that we have to offer something up to him, but we don't. We can't, but we don't have to because God himself has taken care of that and offering up the perfect sacrifice, the perfect sinless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, his son, Jesus, the Christ, that offering is sufficient for us. And so when we worship God, rather than offering him something, which is a work, right? Offering God something, worshiping in that way is actually a work. And we see this sort of work worshiping all over the place. And I don't mean worshiping work. I mean, worshiping God by offering something, by doing something. We see it throughout the world, all over the place. It's a, just the built-in misunderstanding that we have, but we don't, that's not how we worship God. We worship God by believing him. And then of course, we'll produce the good works, right? As you've stated so well there for us, and I think this is where the confusion sometimes comes in for a lot of folks, is that, of course, when we come into the divine service, as we Lutherans talk about, and receive these great gifts of God, and we receive that in faith, right, we believe his word, of course it's gonna, uh, we're gonna respond to that with praise and joy and all of those things that are commonly thought of when we talk about worship, especially in broad American evangelicalism, right? But as you say really well there, it's important to highlight that the order is really important because if we start with, you know, worship is us offering to God, well, then that's a works righteousness. That's a works error, as you highlighted there so well for us. But yet when we start with faith receiving this, then it produces the good fruit that is pleasing to God. Uh, as you brought in there also the apology and so forth, is there anything else there that you'd like to highlight and how, of course, you know, you can also bring in the computation if you want as well of the kind of back and forth here that we have between, 
the Augsburg Confession on New Obedience, how the Catholics came back and responded to that, and then what the Lutherans brought forward there. Anything else you'd like to highlight there? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's worth, well, you know, we talk about this, you know, not true worship being like offering up something, right? Well, why, why are we offering up something? Why, why would we do that? Well, because we want something back. I mean, we're not tempted to offer something like our works to God because we think, oh, he's just, I just want him to be happy. Well, even there, we want something back from him. We want him to be happy with us. But oftentimes it's, it's, it's far more crass than that. We want some sort of reward, right? I want to do the good work that he's given me to do because, you know, I want him, like, let's say I, I want, I want a, I don't know, what's, what's a good thing to, to point out? Uh, I, I want to make sure I, I give faithfully to the church every week, not because, as he says, he loves a cheerful giver, which, by the way, that's that's a passage about a good work that God would have us do, right? He wants us to do it out of faith. He wants us to give flowing from our, our faith and, and everything he's given us, not because we want something from him, but we might be tempted to do that thinking, I want to give all this to the church because I want to get something back for it, right? Whether it's maybe influence in the church or just, you know, for people to know that I'm really doing a good job. That's the wrong reward to seek. But God does give us rewards, okay? We just think of them the wrong way. What does he do? Well, let's consider what this says. This says, the Oswald Confession says, that works necessarily flow from faith, right? It's necessary that faith would produce these works. So James says, right, that faith and works go together, right? He says faith without works is dead. But what he means by that is that faith and works go together. They're not something that can be broken up. You can't have faith and then not do good works. And also you can't do good works without faith. They have to be together. The reward that we can expect from God for this, right? Because good works are a fruit of faith. So faith is present. So the reward that we can expect from God for this is the eternal life that he promises to us, the, you know, kind of the, the home in his household, right? Jesus says in his father's house are many rooms or many mansions as the King James version puts it, but we can expect that we have a dwelling place with God fully furnished for us, if you will, right? For us to dwell with him forever in the bliss of paradise. We can expect that we have as fellow heirs with Christ and as brothers of Jesus by faith. We're his kin by faith. We can expect that we, therefore, will have all of the treasures of God's kingdom in our own possession and for our own benefit and use. So these are the rewards that we get, but not because it's not a tit for tat sort of thing, right? It's not a transaction where I've done this and now God's going to kind of dole out some sort of reward for me. It's instead the works I'm doing are not to earn something from God, but because he's already told me and promised to me that he is giving to me and it awaits me in eternity, everything. Yeah, and that's, once again, the order is important there. And when we understand that order, it's a very freeing thing and a very joyful thing, especially, hey, bonus, you get rewards there. God is gracious, so gracious to us. 
Uh, also, as we're coming into the last couple minutes here, talking about order here, I always like to get this in here. So before we have to wrap up for today, how does what we've talked about here and taught from Augsburg Confession on the new obedience here on Article 6, how does that set up what's coming for us in the rest of the Augsburg Confession here? Yeah, well, I, this kind of ends a sort of like core trilogy within the Augsburg Confession, right? The essentials of salvation and the Christian life, right? With justification, Article 4, the ministry, Article 5, new obedience, Article 6. Now, the next articles go into kind of, I don't know, the, the, how things, how all this kind of is structured then. So, you know, Articles 7 and 8 have to do with the church, that is the congregation of those people who are justified and are doing good works, right? And then from on, it delves into how God delivers to us his gifts, like with baptism and the Lord's Supper. So it kind of, I mean, there's no literal division here after Article 6, but you can kind of think of it that way that, all right, they've the, the author Melanchthon has, has laid out the fundamental notion that we need to know. I, a sinner, cannot earn anything from God. I have the free forgiveness of sins promised to me by God in Jesus. I believe it. It's preached to me that faith is living and active in me, and I care for my neighbor. I do good works as God would have me do. That's the foundation of the Christian faith. And then how is that, if you will, expressed? That's where we go next. It's a really great grouping that you brought out there for us. And we've kind of talked about how the first three articles are kind of a trilogy there. I, we didn't actually use that term. That's one you just introduced to the show. And I thank you for that because uh, I like that idea that, you know, the first three articles are kind of a trilogy. And then we have these, as you just said, they're the core trilogy. And this kind of wraps that up. But then we see that progress and what you set up for us, which is what we'll take up next week as we continue progressing here through the Augsburg Confession. We'll take a look at articles seven and eight on the church and what the church is. It's the one time as we're going through the Augsburg Confession here that we're actually going to do two articles together. Of course, we've talked about how a lot of these relate to one another. Pastor Shorman brought up that we'll be talking about good works again in one of the later articles as well. So uh, they all connect together here, but uh, especially as we get into those next two articles, they're very much connected. And so we'll just take those up together next week. But today, thank you, Pastor Michael Shorman, for joining us for Concord Matters again and teaching us the Lutheran Confession of New Obedience from Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession. It's been a joy to have you on again. It was a joy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church. <laughs>